0: Break the break through. Break the break through. Break the break through. Break, break through, break through. Break, you are now listening to Breakthrough News. It's 5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News and this is the Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. Yes, we are back here on The Punch Out 127, 2021. Very happy to be back with you on this Wednesday, halfway through the week here. And we've got plenty for you, as we always do here on The Punch Out, where we are checking out the news all day so you don't have to and giving it all to you in 15 minutes or less. Or, well, the things that you should be hearing more about and a little bit of in-depth on things you probably have heard about. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the symbolic things happening as it concerns executive orders. We're going to be talking about big changes and, quite frankly, a big win For workers in the poultry processing industry. But before we get to either of those two points, we're going to start with a very important point, which is that there has been a slight but important step away from the brink, as it were, concerning nuclear confrontation between Russia and the United States. Well, in a very welcome development, the Russian parliament this week has okayed an extension to the new START treaty with the United States, as was recently proposed by President Biden, preserving the last nuclear treaty between the U.S. and Russia. And the treaty will be extended for the next five years, and it was due to expire in just weeks, so it was touch and go here. Uh, the Trump administration seemed content to just leave the treaty. They were making renewal contingent on a range of non-starters, more or less initiating a new nuclear arms race, or at least the mentality that this is where things were going. Biden, though, has stepped back here from the brink. Now, the treaty limits both countries' nuclear forces to no more than about uh, 1,500 nuclear warheads, 700 deployed missiles uh, and bombers combined there. Um, So still quite a bit, enough for either side to destroy the world multi-times multiple, multiple times over the entire world. Either way, uh, the deal also allows for some compliance measures for both sides to see what's going on. Notably, though, Russia has stated that it will include its new hypersonic weapons under the treaty. And that's a clear indication of a willingness to negotiate further because the development and rolling out of these weapons was very much predicated on the idea that the U.S. was drastically ratcheting up its own nuclear uh, arsenal, which, of course, it is, uh, it was, and it is, and that's why what happens next is deeply unclear. You know, starting under the Obama administration, despite the fact that they were favoring more nuclear arms negotiations with Russia, the U.S. actually proceeded with a trillion-dollar plan, one that was carried over by Trump, to overhaul and update its nuclear arsenal, which, again, can destroy the entire world multiple times over. They're going to spend a trillion dollars to do this. So many other countries started increasing their nuclear weapons' arsenals as well, Uh, and the idea that significant global reductions in nuclear weapons could potentially happen, seem to be receding from view. Many of the top experts saying that this is one of the most dangerous tinderbox moments for nuclear warfare, really, truly, to happen. So uh, this is certainly welcome, but there are many caveats here. Uh, The U.S. is not seriously discussing, it seems, returning to the intermediate nuclear forces or Open Skies treaties with Russia that also lapsed last year, and increasingly voiced that are influential in the U.S. foreign policy uh, elite establishment, if you will, are pushing for various things like to involve China in future negotiations with Russia. Uh, And China has rejected this kind of linkage in terms of uh, any negotiations they might have with the United States or with Russia on this issue. So, you know, demanding those kind of linkages means you're not going to have progress with either country in terms of moving forward. So basically you have a big backsliding there. The U.S. has the biggest, most deadly nuclear arsenal on Earth. Russia is the second. So negotiations between the two are really the the bedrock for expanding denuclearization efforts more broadly, which is why this treaty is important and more would also be important, despite the fact we don't know what's going to happen here. But despite all that ambiguity, despite the fact that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of planning on this, there are clear frameworks to move forward in a serious way vis-a-vis the U.S. and Russia, uh, on the the, the Korean Peninsula, as it were, where real denuclearization certainly seems well within grasp, and with Iran as the Iran deal issue um, that we have all heard quite a bit about here continues to, to move forward. So in all those cases, though, the biggest obstacle is that in a bipartisan fashion, U.S. political elites oppose really even minimal concessions that would clearly be necessary to reach a negotiated solution in each case. It's considered politically toxic in the U.S. to, at least in mainstream politics, as they say, to really seek peace. Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, they're all so demonized in the Western popular discourse that it's considered essentially traitorous to oppose straight forward serious conversations about reducing nuclear tensions. And these are the real consequences of the hysterias around so-called enemies quote unquote of the United States. The great power competition at, uh, mindset it creates an atmosphere where war or the preparation for war is the only possible framework for ordering foreign relations. And, you know, when you think about it like that, it's no wonder that reams of think tank reports that undergird the almost 100% negative reporting about these so called enemy nations in the mainstream are coming from places, think tanks, whatever they call themselves, heavily bankrolled by the military industrial complex. <laughs> All right, well, here is something that I can say for sure is good without too many buts. Yes, I know that's rare here in The Punch Out. This week, the USDA has withdrawn a proposed rule to allow just murderous speed-ups at poultry processing plants. Right now, poultry plants uh, run on line speeds of up to 140 birds per minute. Uh, what does that really mean? Well, I think you can get a sense by just looking at what the result is, um, where it is right now. And the National Employment Law Project points out, quote, workers in poultry plants are injured at almost twice the rate of workers in private industry at large. Further, these workers face over seven times the rate of illnesses compared to the national average of all other workers in private industries. And... These rates are likely unreported, underreported rather. And that's the government accounting office, by the way, the GAO, uh, that has also noted that this is undercount is definitely happening in these numbers. They go on to say the National Employment Law Project that the poultry industry has the 11th highest number of work-related amputations and hospitalizations of all industries. Reporting to the government more than sawmills and the construction industry, more than sawmills, more amputations than sawmills in poultry plants. So this now repealed rule would have allowed that race to, rate to increase. Like That's where it is now. They wanted to raise it. That's how bad it was. They would raise it to 175 birds per minute. So think about what you just heard, uh, the 11th highest number of work-related amputations, more than sawmills, and think about that times two, or it's maybe not times two, but you get the point I'm making here in terms of how dangerous really it really would be when even the existing speeds are too high for safe work environments. And you top that off with what COVID-19 has revealed, that there's really no serious health and safety oversight in these meat processing plants, and we've seen them become these COVID centers because of it. Now, a number of plants were given temporary waivers to allow higher line speeds. That's higher than 140 birds per minute, that is, and those remain in force. those waivers. So when or if the Biden administration is going to revoke those, not exactly clear. Also, the same issue is really happening in pork processing and meat processing more generally, and what attitude the Biden era USDA is going to take towards all of these in a sort of global sense, if you will, is also not entirely clear. But what is clear is this, that over the past two administrations, particularly the last one, meat processing companies have been drastically increasing the dangers to workers in order to increase their own profit margins, no matter who gets hurt or who dies. So hopefully this decision, which follows years of advocacy by unions representing poultry workers and others, marks a step in the opposite direction. Sorry about this, but don't get too excited about the Biden administration after that last story, because (laughs) they're really up to some of their old smoke and mirror tricks here. The typical thing you see in mainstream politics. Biden has been signing a flurry of executive orders, many with important impacts, but quite a number that barely scratch the surface of the issue and seem completely designed to appease people without doing very much. For instance, Biden decided to ban oil and gas leases on public lands yesterday. You know, fine with it, ban them, but this applies only to new leases. So the tons of leases these companies stocked up on as the Trump administration was winding to a close will remain in force. And on top of that, only 9% of onshore drilling is on public lands, prompting one expert to tell Huffington Post, quote, this will not significantly impact the direction of the US energy industry in the short term, end quote. Also announced with the Flourish yesterday was a ban or supposed bans on private prisons at the federal level. Now, that's a decision with a hole so big you could just drive a truck through it because it doesn't include immigration detention facilities, which make up the vast majority of federal prisoners that are being held in private facilities. And you know, on top of that, private prisons at all levels, local, state, and federal, only represent about 9% of the incarcerated population and a small number of federal prisons. And you add, in fact, on top of that, that these uh, people who will be transferred from these private prisons will just be going to public federal prisons that also have terrible reputations. Meaning that there's really no fundamental change, uh, no fundamental change, that's a Biden phrase for you there, in what's happening with mass incarceration after this order. So, uh, sounded good, but that one was truly pretty hollow, quite frankly. Finally, uh, well, not finally, there's other things to it, but one other one I want to mention to you in this vein, Biden also announced just deeply, deeply, underwhelming action on housing discrimination. I I even, and I know I can be cynical here, dear dear listeners, expected more than this. Uh, He issued an order that rather than seeking to repeal some of the important laws against segregation and that can prevent uh, gentrification, like the affirmatively furthering fair housing rule and different things like that, that I don't have time to get into, but just know that they can help push back segregation, push back gentrification, could have repealed them didn't go very far, just passed an executive order saying that they were going to examine them and also saying that they were going to take steps to address housing discrimination. So uh, that one, honestly, a little bit more inexplicable because some of these rules uh, came from Obama, not from you know some sort of radical revolutionary place. But nevertheless, again, talking a big game about racial equity, not really following through from a substantive level. So in all these different cases, it's really not that difficult to figure out what's going on here. Biden has really sought to evade committing to any real strong strong arming, if you will, to pass laws that will, you know, help people save the planet, solve the massive problems that are facing humanity. Uh, You know, he won't even end a parliamentary procedure. I mean, you know, it's not 100 percent up to him, but he won't push. Aggressively to end the filibuster. He says that he's wanting to work with Republicans and a water down all sorts of things, including the $2,000 checks that he still failed to get out there. That so if you don't have, if you have that kind of political philosophy, reach across the aisle, unity at all costs, you're obviously not going to make major changes on issues like climate change, mass incarceration, stopping gentrification and discrimination and segregation in the housing market. All those things are deeply controversial. You'd have to fight. You'd have to alienate people. For sure, you couldn't really unite all people around solutions. So rather than actually commit to that kind of fight that would propose solutions that will meet the scale of the change, it's a lot easier to just make symbolic gestures and kick the can down the road on the substance. And that's going to do it for us here today on The Punch Out here. 127-2021. Very happy to be with you on this Wednesday. We'll be back with you again tomorrow on Thursday. We'll also be live tomorrow on Thursday, 8pm for the Freedom Side, also hosted by me, Eugene Perrier at BT Newsroom. We'll tell you a little bit more about what we have lined up on the Punch Out tomorrow, 5pm Eastern Standard Time, here on Breakthrough News.